It's the Andy Thompson Show on ESPN 97.7. We start as we always do in the sport hole with Lawrence, the pigskin picking robot. Larry, let's do it, buddy. What do you got for me on a Wednesday, my friend? Bring it on. The sport hole. Sports, 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 sports. Ball game. For two, follows a shot. Knew where it was going. Needs some help. Puts it down. Brock Felder. Wow. How about SUU last night? One possession game against Utah. You heard it on ESPN 97.7. Good for Coach Jeter. Good for the T-Birds. They haven't had the best start to the year. But to go up on the road against a Power 5 team in the Huntsman Center, in an empty Huntsman Center, and play a good game, a lot to be proud of for SUU. Probably their best performance of the year. All right, we got Sambo with a question he ripped from uh, Twitter, right, Sambo? All right, Larry? Yes. Sambo's going to read it? Yes. All right, go ahead, Sambo. From Ute Nation alumni. Yeah, go ahead. How have my run in Utes in only 25 years gone from playing in the national championship to beating Southern Utah by only two points in front of 57 fans with a team that looks like the Draper 11th Ward's Elders Quorum? <laughs> it's a great question. It's a question many Utah fans have. How is the football team able to sell out and have a very active student section, the must, and uh, help us with atmosphere and helping us win games and getting the opposing team rattled and that stuff? And we have zero atmosphere at the Huntsman Center where Utah was always the basketball school. It was always BYU was the football school, and Utah's the basketball school. And now Utah's basketball program, they've gone to five NCAA tournaments in the 20 years post-Majera, so not great. Kristoviak had some promising years. Craig Smith is kind of rebuilding after Kristoviak went down. Uh, Let's see, Boylan after Majera's disaster. So... Winning is always the number one thing you can point to on why your attendance sucks. If you were a top team and you're going to the tournament, you're going to the Sweet 16 like you were a lot in the late 90s with Majerus, that always is the number one factor to help attendance. Let me go through some other things for why I think Utah's attendance is so bad. And the number one thing has got to be students for some reason. Football, it works. Basketball, it doesn't. People point to the fact that Utah is a, quote, commuter school, end quote, which is very true. According to Rare.com or whoever I pulled this from, the University of Utah, 87% of their students don't live on campus. So 13% of their student body is actually on campus at the University of Utah. You compare that with Utah State. Utah State, only 16% of kids don't live on campus. So that is a true college experience up in Logan. BYU is probably surprising in how little of their student body lives on campus, but nobody, I don't think, can uh, calls BYU a commuter school. If you look at the Big 12, Iowa State, Oklahoma State, TCU, Baylor, everybody's kind of in the 30s to 50 range of kids that live on campus. So more than Utah. And if I went through all the other ones, except for probably Houston, Houston's a commuter school. UCF has a huge student body, but I doubt a higher percentage than about 20% actually live on campus. Cincinnati, the same deal. Urban schools, commuter schools, That's who pretty much entered the 
Big 12 as new schools except for BYU, right? So that's a challenge. These schools that have a huge on-campus student population are always going to do better. USC's terrible. UCLA's terrible. Going back to some of the Pac-12 schools. Um, it'd be interesting to look at Arizona State and maybe Arizona and Tucson, their percentage of students that live on campus. Well, that's an uphill battle for Utah. No student section. No atmosphere. Students are what um, bring all of that to a college basketball game. And I would argue... College basketball is the best atmosphere for a student section. We go crazy about football, and we talk about football in the show almost exclusively this time of year. But a college basketball packed game with a with a Cameron indoors type of crazy student section, that's the best atmosphere in college sports. And you could have more impact on the game as a as a student in a student section in basketball much more than football. So that's the shame of it for Utah. Because their basketball atmosphere is is so horrible. If you go back to the Majerus era, they were getting about 12,000, 13,000 fans a game. And now it's, it's obviously much, much, much less. Now, this is from Steve Cole from a couple years ago talking about the challenge Utah's having of getting people to come out to their games. Quote, this is from Deseret News. You're competing against the couch and 80-inch TVs. Scott Cole, actually, is who's saying this. Uh, he told the Deseret News in 2020 when the school acknowledged that the black curtains installed above the concourse at the Huntsman Center five years ago would be closed for most games to help the youth's competitive advantage and improve the fans' experience in the arena. The lower bowl includes approximately 8,500 seats, meaning 6,500 seats are not available for purchase. It is my understanding that most of the lower bowl tickets have been sold but just aren't being used, accounting for so many empty red seats, Crowley said. The lower bowl has very few tickets available, and the prices are very high, or pretty high, he said, excuse me. So if they don't open the curtains up, as they did for the BYU game, it makes it harder for people with young kids to afford any seats. So limiting the amount of seats ups the prices and might be pricing out families is the argument there. My problem with college basketball is that I think... All sports, except for the NFL, that's perfect. I rip on college football all the time for how they do stuff. Portal, the NIL, the college football playoff. There's many things that could be improved with college basketball. I think we can all look at Major League Baseball now and say, look, this is the most traditionalist sport in the world. And they said, okay, we can stick with things or we can act like a company who's dying and change up the menu a little bit if we're a restaurant or change up our offerings or do something to adapt to a different marketplace. And I think that um, the NFL has done that with some of the rule changes and the quarterbacks, and I praise Roger all the time for that. Making quarterbacks safer means that they are more free to go and make plays that are funner to watch. Um I think college basketball can do several things. So here are my fixes. This is kind of a handyman segment here, Larry, to start things off. Half times are too long. Half times are 15 minutes. That doesn't sound like a lot. It's too much. And the idea that halftime is so important because you're going to go in and you're going to get those halftime adjustments. 
the biggest the, the biggest storyline for every halftime. What are the adjustments at halftime? You're going to go in and have this amazing, amazing, magical discussion, and you're going to make all of these magical adjustments. I don't think that happens. I think Pete, like Peyton Manning says about NFL halftimes, you go, you go to the bathroom, you eat a granola bar, and by the time that's done, it's ready to go back on the field. College basketball needs to say 15 minutes, still too long. Let's make it eight minutes. That's my proposal. Get in and out. Go to the bathroom, grab an orange, and get your butts back onto the field or onto the court. And let's keep playing. Okay? Number two, way too many timeouts in college basketball. It used to be five. They put it down to four. It needs to be like one per half. Because what happens is they're saved up till the very end of the game. The last two minutes of a college basketball game, every possession, there's a timeout. So there's no flow. The excitement dies down. There's no type of rhythm to the last two minutes of a game because every possession is a timeout because they have way too dang many. And then you add the media timeouts on top of that, and the stoppages in the game are brutal in college basketball, even worse than the NBA. Number three. So one timeout per half is what I'm saying to adjust to make that adjustment. Number three, get rid of the one-on-one free throw thing. Just do two free throws. One-on-one incentivizes more fouls, especially especially late in the game. If you made it two foul, uh, two shots, there wouldn't, I don't think, be as many fouling. The other thing you do to mimic the NBA, which has this right, is a 24-second shot clock. 30 seconds is too long. It used to be more. Just bring it down. Um, shorter possessions means more possessions means in a two-minute situation where you're down, you'll have more opportunities to get the ball back without having to foul. So the, the smaller the shot clock, the better. Larry, are you with me so far? Yes. Do you like some of these? Yes. Ah. Number four, fix the three-point foul ending, meaning... When a team is down by three with seven seconds left, the defense, a lot of the time, will just foul the the guy and make him go shoot one in the bonus and not risk a three-pointer going in. Do something with that to fix it. That takes so much drama out of the ending of games. I would do something to fix that. I'm not sure what it is, Larry. I don't, I'm not sure if you foul the guy um, and the guy has the ball outside the three-point range. He gets to shoot three shots or something with, like, less than two minutes left. Think about that. That's kind of half-baked. We'll work on that. And then the biggest thing is number five, which is there's just too many games that don't have any stakes. If you play a game with stakes, people are going to show up. Um, In the Big Ten SEC Challenge, if Kentucky's playing, you know, a big team from the Big Ten, which would be who nowadays, Larry? Purdue? (laughs) Um, people show up for those. People go to in, in Lexington, go to Rep Arena and, and sell that out or these other big basketball schools if there's a big preseason matchup. But for the vast majority of these games, they're, they're exhibitions. I know that they factor into your tournament or whatever, but speaking specifically about Power 5 teams like Utah who get, you know, the Pac-12 gets three, four, five teams in the tournament sometimes. Big 10 gets their whole conference in the tournament. The ACC gets their whole, you know, their regular season means so, so little. And so the fans have learned, look, they're, they're playing 40 games now in college basketball, and the first 15 mean jack. And even the conference game, as long as we finish above 
500 in conference, we're probably going to get an at-large bid to go to the tournament. So the regular season is a huge problem for college basketball, and there's just too much fluff. That's hard to fix, too. I don't have an answer to that. What I would do, going back to a couple weeks ago, my proposal, Larry, is to have a to, – to copy the NBA a little bit. This is the perfect time after the conference football championships in football and before the bowl season starts on the 16th or whatever, do a week-and-a-half-long in-season college basketball single elimination tournament. You put a bracket in front of people, and they're interested. Do that for the next week-and-a-half and do a couple of them around the country – and you'll have more eyeballs. You'll have more excitement. That'll carry you through December. Then football starts up again, and we forget about college basketball until about mid-February. And then you got March Madness, and that's a pretty dang good season. But you have to have something. I'm not talking about the Maui tournament or the Atlantis tournament that nobody cares about, even though there's good matchups. I'm talking about a, a tournament that has 32 teams or something like that, and maybe a couple of them around the country. That you get you get some some big time cachet, some big time stuff with Joe Lenardi and the committee to impact your standing when it comes to March's tournament. I would love a college basketball tournament going on right now. It, it would make me so much more into the preseason, the pre conference schedule than just watching a bunch of Power Five teams playing a bunch of uh, William and Marys. Would you agree with that, Larry? Yes. Thank you. Anything else, Lawrence? How about BYU, Larry, playing awesome right now? They've got Utah Saturday, 5 o'clock. I don't know if Brandon Carlson's going to play or not for Utah. I hope he does. This was Pope last night after their win against Evansville, the alma mater, by the way, of Jerry Sloan. Quote, we're just trying to get our guys lost in the in the details right now, and that's fun, he said. I've never coached a team where they've been so focused on the game on the court and are never distracted by wins, the media, the opponent, or where we play. They care about the details. Uh, Jackson uh, Robinson was was amazing. Again, and he's, I, he's still coming off the bench, isn't he, Larry? Yes. He had, like... 19 points last night or something. I guess, you know, Evansville was completely outmatched. But uh, I'm glad the BYU is playing a lot better. And it's not like it's not like they have a bunch of portal guys. Like, they've got that Ali uh, Khalifa kid who's a really good big man passer. And that's what he was known for when they got him was, okay, we can get this guy the ball down lower on the elbow. And he can kind of be a playmaker. And he's done some of that. Um Johnson, Hall, and the rest of the gang, uh, Waterman, etc. We'll see how they do once conference starts, but undefeated so far, Larry. We'll see how they do against the Utes. But that's what I would do, Larry. And I know the University of Utah has no control over any of the crap I went over, but some specific things to the program and then specific to just college basketball. you got to cater yourself to the audience. And quicker games, shorter half times, all of that stuff will help because the numbers are down in college basketball just like they are in a lot of sports. But you got to combat it. You can't just cling to tradition and the regular way of doing things. Make these minor adjustments or think about doing something is all I'm saying. All right, next topic, Larry. What do we got? Will you cut the malarkey? There's a white man talking up here. It's time for There's a White Man Talking in the Sport Hole. 
This topic is brought to you by our friends at Novage. All right. Who is our white man talking today, Larry? Oh, we've got um, Mike Greenberg. Our very own Greenie, hashtag Greenie, on this morning's show, uh, went off on people who complain about the transfer portal like me. So I'll tell you if I agree with Greenie and disagree with myself or if I agree with myself and disagree with uh, Mike Greenberg. Go ahead, uh, Larry. 538 FBS scholarship players entered the portal, entered the portal yesterday. That's up about 70 from the year before. Hembo received a text from someone who said the transfer portal is going to ruin college football. You need to respond. Shut the hell up. You have no idea what you're talking about. The transfer portal has been great for college football. It has been great for the athletes themselves. It has had absolutely no uh, negative impact on fan interest or anything else. It's just hurting some of the people who don't want to play by the new rules. And I say, get them out. There'll be plenty of people willing to play this game, too. That's what I think. What do you say? Mike Reaver, by the way, went to um, the Medill School of Journalism. One of the best. uh, He's a Northwestern guy, right? He's not a Syracuse guy. He's a Northwestern guy. Larry? Yes. So he and... Uh, Will Bond and uh, many others. J.A. Adande. What happened to J.A. Adande? Can you look that up? No. Um, I agree with Greeny when it comes to the enjoyment from the fans. Is at an all-time high. It hasn't affected that at all. In fact, it's made the league better in a way because of the parody. It's diluted the SEC, who... You know, 2002 and 2001 lost hundreds of exports to the portal, which spread around the country. And that's why they barely got a team in the playoff and probably shouldn't this year. So I agree with that. The The, the, the problem I have with the portal is, one, it, it used to be about you build a program by winning. First, you build a culture, you got yourself a coach, and then you won. And if you won, you could build a program anywhere in the country. Didn't matter if it was Norman, Oklahoma, or Lincoln, Nebraska, or, you know, San Diego, or wherever. That's how you build a program, was blood, sweat, and tears, and elbow grease, Larry. You you know, you got a guy with some vision in there, and he could convince kids to come out to anywhere because you you could win football games, and I like that. I like that old traditional way of building a, a program, and that has been subverted. And now winning doesn't matter, and program doesn't matter. All that matters is money, and so that's not good, and that's has affected negatively college football. I would say, and so you have a guy, for example, at a at a program like Utah who is very good at keeping guys in the transfer portal era. They have very few exports, especially guys who are playing. They might have guys who aren't playing leave, but they are able to keep their guys for the most part. Mikey Matthews, their freshman receiver, who is a huge get out of high school from California, like a four-star kid, Larry. Receiver. 
jump to the transfer portal today. And I was shocked by it, and I know a lot of people were shocked by it. Um, And it's because Utah didn't have a quarterback this year, and so he didn't get a lot of chances. But even with Rising coming back this upcoming year and going into the Big 12, Matthews is like, I'm out. And I don't necessarily think it's just because they had a down year this year passing. I think it's because somebody came to him and said, we'll pay you more if you come here than you're getting paid at Utah. You got a truck? We'll pay you money. And I think there's a lot of decisions being made in 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 tandem with better situation potentially, but the 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 key factor is that they're just going to get more money somewhere else. And so it undercuts programs which has always been the most important part. Now, money's always been involved in good programs, get more money from boosters that can build better facilities, and that attracts players. But the fact that uh, good programs can get players sniped, in a way, it's kind of good for the sport because it levels the playing field, and Tennessee can go steal guys from Bama, and you know some mediocre team from the Big Ten, Purdue, can go buy people from somebody else who doesn't have enough salary cap to keep their, you know, 15th best player. And so somebody else can grab them from them, if that makes sense. So in a way, it's good because it evens things out, but it does undercut the traditional way of building a program. So I agree with a lot of what Greeny said, but I disagree that it hasn't negatively affected that aspect of football. College football was always about tradition and stuff like that. The great names, the legacy, you walk into... USC, and you see OJ Simpson's jersey, and you see Reggie Bush's jersey, and you say, This is a place I want to play. And now that don't matter. They don't even take them to watch the jersey. Well, both of those jerseys are, you know, taken down, but you get my point, Larry. They don't even take them to take in the history and the majesty of these facilities anymore. They just show up with a bag, and the kid says, All right, I'll take it. I'll come and play for you. Anything else on, uh, Oh, one other thing while we're here, Larry, is I think an interesting idea is that, first of all, I was wrong yesterday when I was talking about the NCAA president's proposal about colleges paying kids directly NIL money and cordoning off and subdividing and schools that are willing to devote $30,000 per student athlete are going to play in a different level of uh, classification, division, division one, you know, whatever. My understanding yesterday was they were going to pay them in tandem with current private NIL deals. I was wrong. I think the idea is that the schools will buy out the student athletes NIL rights and have an exclusive to pay them for their NIL rights. And if that's the case, it's great for 90% of college players, but it sucks for the top, for the cream of the crop. The Caleb Williamses, right? The Marvin Harrison Juniors, who are going to take a huge pay cut. Because if they're getting $30,000 a year compared to hundreds and thousands or millions of dollars, that's a huge pay loss. But it would regulate it, it would uniformize it, it would pay women athletes the same because of Title IX 
and other players would have a chance to make that type of money too, not just the top three, four, five kids on your football program. So there is an element of that that I like. But one of the other thoughts I had, Lawrence, is the potential of these big donor billionaires just saying, you know what? I'm going to be the owner of Oklahoma State's football program. I've got billions of dollars, T. Boone or anybody else that has a big, you know, Texas or Texas A&M or uh, SMU has got a bunch of rich alumni and stuff like that. Just a guy saying, hey, I'm the owner now. I'm the guy. I'm going to be the decider. You have an athletic director. You have a president. And I'm going to pay a payroll to win a championship. And I'm going to be a decision maker. And I'm going to own the team because I have the most money invested in it. And if you want my money, you're going to take my advice on how to run your program and roster decisions and all that. Just like Jerry Jones running the Cowboys. I don't think it's that far-fetched to think eventually if this persists the Wild West NIL and Portal deal, that's more people like that might crop up who care enough about college football, and that would professionalize the sport even more. What do you think about that idea, Larry? No. No no what? Do you agree with it? No. What the heck do you know anyway? All right, next topic. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. Two-Minute Drill, presented by Ideal Home and Auto Paint. To the five, to the two, diving, touchdown! Let's do it. Two-Minute Drill, uh, brought to you by our good friends of the Matt Hickman team at Academy Mortgage. We're looking at college, excuse me, high school hoops. We've got uh, Casey Winters, who will be joining us second hour to break down Crimson Cliffs basketball. We'll be up at the Sky Ridge Tournament tomorrow for a doubleheader. Dixie and Crimson Cliffs will be playing in that tournament. And what I like about this tournament is it's a true tournament. Like, if you lose, you're out type of deal. And I think, you know, Dixie's got a shot in this tournament to show, like everybody kind of thinks, that they can compete with anybody in those upper classification uh, levels. So we'll see how it goes for them and uh, Crimson. As well, you can listen on ESPN 97.7. We'll talk more about it with uh, Casey Winters about the talent pool up there and the teams and how good they are and how good he anticipates these Region 9 schools might do. Anything else for two-minute drill, Larry? We're putting out um, Media Day highlights on our Instagram and Twitter. So if you want to check out, we've put out uh, one for Dixie and Desert Hills, and we'll keep doing that for the rest of the week. All right. Thank you, Larry. Is that all? Yes. All right. Next up. It's ladies night. Ladies, call us for some direction in your life at 900-3776. Okay, Larry, we're going to go out to Glenn. We usually do a woman on ladies night, but uh, Glenn, we're happy to help you out. Uh, What can we do for you? Thank you. How are you today? Good. What's new? My, my wife, loves to surprise me with some things from time to time, like she's booked some trips um, or even something as simple as like going to dinner um, and just, you know, she loves to do those things every once in a while. And and she has commented to me that she wished that I would do that sometimes. I would surprise her with something, which is a reasonable request. So the other day I came home and wanted to surprise her with something. And I said, 
don't plan on doing anything from this time on this day because we're going to go do something fun and I have it already scheduled and booked. Okay. So she looked at her calendar. She looked at her schedule and whatnot. Everything was looking good. And then she got to the part where she's like, oh, I have a hair appointment. And it hair. kind of created a little bit of a, I was a little annoyed. It created a little bit of a fight, nothing major. Yeah. But I was annoyed that a hair appointment was getting in the way of something that she okay. hinted to me okay. over time that she wanted me to do. Yeah. All right. I can help and you. I can help you out. I would say, listen to your wife. I would say, listen, sweetie, um, these surprises, they seem fun. They seem like, you know, you're, you're the people that you're following on Instagram or talking about stuff their husbands do and making it sound like it's a great thing. Surprises are horrible. And, uh, you know, you don't like it, Glenn. And no guy, I don't think, likes to be surprised with some outing when they get home at night. Um, and and apparently your wife doesn't like it either because she chose a, you know, a hair appointment over hanging out with you. So I would say enough of the surprises, right? That's enough. Just have a set plan, like an adult. Put it on your calendar. Have her commit to it. And uh, then you go. The, the whole catching you off guard thing. Now, she's wrong because she didn't commit to the date and then and then dumped you for her, her hair lady, which is unfortunate, Glenn. But um, just put it on the calendar well in advance. In fact, just set a day once every couple of weeks that you go out and get some ice cream and get away from the kids. That's what I would. That's the advice from uh, the sport hole today, buddy. Thanks for the call. The sport hole. Sports, 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 sports. I, I live for radio and then television and podcast of the week. All right, Larry, let's do the Run Your Race podcast. This is with Theo Pinson, who was a former NBA player, Larry? Yes. I don't know this guy, but he had Donovan Mitchell on, right? Yes. And Donovan was very laudatory about uh, some of his Utah Jazz early teammates in his rookie season. Thought this was good. Uh, Go ahead and shoot that shot when you're ready, Lawrence. This is OKC with Paul George, yes, and Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony, Stephen Adams, mm-hmm. yeah. Russell Westbrook. Like you beat a really good OKC team. Yeah, like the fact that was a great win. For, that, was that was a great, great series. Was that was a great series. Yeah. And what helped was I had Ricky Rubio as the point guard to kind of facilitate and kind of put me in spots to succeed. Mm-hmm. But I give a lot of credit. Like, I play with all guys who are, like, 10 years plus in the league. Yeah, you know yeah, what I'm saying? Like, bits. on my bench, you know, guys, my, one of my friends to this day is Epe Udo. He mm-hmm. was a guy who was always in my ear. And then another guy for the beginning of the year, Rodney Hood. Like, this is supposed to be Rodney's team. Yeah. And I got the utmost respect for Rodney. I tell this to everybody. Like, you know how the league is. Like, here I come in. Gordon leaves. supposed to be Rodney's team. Mm-hmm. So those keys that were handed to me was supposed to be Rodney's. Supposed to be Rodney's. And the he shift is happening. Yeah, he got hurt. The shift is happening. And this man is, like, giving me all the advice to help me to continue to trend this way. Mm-hmm. He didn't try to sabotage nothing. He didn't try to – he's like, this is what coach means when he says this. Yeah. When coach, when coach be tripping, this is what he wants. This is what – like, this is what this is what he likes. This is this action, like, putting me in positions to succeed. And obviously I had Johnny Bryant at the time as well yeah, helping me out. Shout out Johnny, bro. Shout out to Johnny, um, as always. But, like, Rodney, like, for a player to do that as well, as the younger kid is taking your spot, like mm-hmm. – I respect Ronnie to this day. I appreciate Ronnie. I tell him every day I see because that's not how it always goes. For sure. I'm saying that's not how it always goes. And, you know, that was something for me that really helped. Um, But, yeah, Ricky, Rudy, Joe, like those were the three because we were on the line together. And Derek Favors, like we were all 
they really helped me and allowed me to kind of be the leader too yeah. as a young kid. Like that's not always the case either. You, I'm 21, you know, being the guy. Like that's not always yeah, the, yeah. The, the case. And that's- Good find, Larry. That was a fun season because Gordon left. And then you had just as good as a player as a rookie when Donovan, you know. And that's a great compliment to a guy like Rodney Hood. It's kind of the same uh, thing people say about Alex Smith when he tutored, knew that Mahomes was going to take over his job. And, you know, Mahomes' dad always talks about Alex Smith, like what a guy, what a mentor, did everything he could for a guy who was going to steal his job. And it sounds like Rodney did the same for, for Donovan. And, you know, Donovan, I was like Donovan. It was a shame how it ended. The ridiculous, insulting thing he said when he left about Utah and the fans and all that crap uh, was so dumb. But I do like Donovan overall. All right, let's do... Let's do the next one, Larry, if you got it, buddy. Bring it on. The Sport Hall. Sports, 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 sports. Watching the NBA today, man, these guys just drive me crazy. They didn't even take advantage of the mismatch. Yeah, he had to get the offensive rebound. He had to get the offensive rebound. You watch these games, these guys just jack up shots. I'm like, yo, man, do y'all know that Eric Gordon's trying to guard Anthony Davis and you just jack up a three? Now, thank goodness Anthony Davis got the offensive rebound, but these guys never, because the the way they play defense in the NBA, everybody switches, there's mismatches all over the place. Mm Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Sambo. Do you agree with Charles? And aside from that, how about how awesome that game was last night? Adam Silver has nailed this thing. It was a great game. Uh, Suns-Lakers, I just saw the about the third quarter on. Yes, I agree with Charles. I always agree with Charles. Um, the in-season tournament's great. I talked about it at the very beginning of the show. It's amazing how well it's worked. I thought the players would not fall for it. They have. And it's just, you know, a part of it is like, um, the season is long, and a part of it is like remember in gym class in high school, like it was just kind of a you're, you got to play in a volleyball tournament or something or basketball or whatever, and it wasn't cool to try hard or go all out. You didn't want to be a try hard in gym class because that's a lame stereotype. That's kind of and you're just waiting for the period to end so you can move on and go to lunch or something. That's kind of what the regular season in in the NBA is, where these guys are playing probably 70% capacity most nights. And then if it's close, in the last two minutes, they'll go for the win. But this is a run-the-clock-out situation. This is a marathon, and we're just going to you know kind of ease into it a little bit. And last night wasn't like that. Last night was Game 7. They were going nuts. Every possession down the stretch, how frantically they were recovering on defense and switches and diving on the floor and the horrible call at the end with LeBron calling timeout. The Sun should have had that steal. It was a very entertaining NBA game on December 5th. So it's great. And I think a part of it for players is like they now have license to play, to go all out because they know that the other guys are going all out too. So it's like, oh, we're in agreement. You're going all out. We're going all out. No load management tonight. No, you know, only playing 20, 
four minutes if you're a star. Like, we're going for it. And that's got to be exciting for these guys to have a Game 7 type of feel in the middle of the early on in the regular season where it usually means nothing. And that's what I saw last night. Now, the other game was a blowout, but the Bucks, you know, won by 20 or something like that. But it's great. Good for good for Adam Silver. You put anything into a bracket, people will try hard. And that's what they've done. So it's good. Uh, I think the semifinals and stuff in Vegas, and that's going to be a big deal. So home run. Praise uh, Major League Baseball a lot for what the changes they made and how well it, it went off in, in year one. And I think the in-season tournament. Ratings are up. I mean, the ratings, I don't know the most recent ones, but... For some of the first games that they did, like the the Kings-Golden State just pool play game, had like 100, close to 100% better ratings than the similar game they played in the same time period last year. So ratings are better, interest is better, players are dumb enough to care about it, which is good for the fans. And last night was uh, uh, just a fantastic game. You got KD going against LeBron. You got Booker, who didn't have a super-duper night, but was okay. Reeves hits that dagger three. You know, street clothes is playing hard and healthy. <laughs> so it was good. Good uh, good for the uh, NBA. Somebody was asking me about the NBA's plans for expansion the other day. And it's inevitable that they're going to come to Las Vegas, just like baseball was inevitable, and now it's official, but they will be coming. They'll be there. They'll be there in a few years. I mean, I think initially it was, we got to wait for the collective bargaining agreement, the new one to be made. That happened, you know, was it earlier this year, Larry? They finished that. Now they got the big TV deal to negotiate, which will be in the next year or two. Once that's done... Silver has said the next thing is thinking about expansion. Seattle, Las Vegas. Vegas should be the number one spot for expansion. It's Sports City USA these days, and I can't, uh, I can't wait. I don't, I don't, I don't get the Mexico City thing. I understand there's more market share, market whatever availability if you venture out to Mexico City. Um, but I, I'd rather have teams in Vegas and Seattle if you're if you're taking two teams so we'll get uh we'll get Bernsey and Max's take on that later on in the program all right then quickly we got one more Larry go ahead no hitter if you have a sombrero throw it to the sky this day in sports more room for Jerry Rice to work he's out to the left Jerry Rice, 1992, Lawrence, broke the receiving touchdown record that was previously held by Steve Largent. Largent had 100. Rice caught 101 on this day in 1992 and then proceeded to play 12 more years in the league. Jerry Rice is the Wayne Gretzky of the NFL. His receiving all-time record, I don't know what it is, but it's still, even in the past crazy era of the NFL we're in, Rice is still well ahead of number two, right, Larry? Which is probably Moss. The touchdown 
list is Rice at 197. So he went on to score basically 100 more touchdowns for the rest of his career. Then Moss at 156. Then T.O. at 153. Then Chris Carter at 130. Marvin Harrison at 128. My guy Larry Fitzgerald at 121. Then you got a couple tight ends and Antonio Gates and uh, Tony Gonzalez, I think, after that. So Jerry Rice, in an era where every team wasn't throwing 50 times a game, and a lot of it was West Coast crossing routes that he'd catch and run, right? So he was a yak guy as well. Uh, Love Jerry. He was always my favorite growing up and uh, celebrating his record-breaking anniversary today in the sport hall. Quick break. Back with uh, Talking Jazz with Rustin Burnside when we come back.